Hello. Welcome to Electrocast. Episode 5. Black Breeze. Stuart Edmondson. Released April 2021. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Electrocast. Today we've got Stuart Edmondson joining us, the CEO of UKESF. Hi Stuart, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks James. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, I'm really pleased to, uh, to have this opportunity to talk to you. Not a problem. Um, how's things been with yourself? You've been keeping all right through COVID. Y- yes, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, uh, let me explain what all those initials were that you introduced me with. So, uh, so the UK uh, ESF is the Electronic Skills Foundation. Uh, we're a small charity uh, trying to encourage more young people to get into electronics and support them through university um, in a way that I'll explain a bit later. So uh, as a charity, we, we, we did struggle initially because uh, a lot of our revenue has uh, ceased. Uh, and mm. also uh, we had to draw down our costs and a lot of our activities that we'd had planned for last summer, uh, we weren't able to go ahead with. So a lot of things that we would have been doing, uh, we weren't able to do. However, uh, we were able to control our costs and get everything under control and sort of um, batten down the hatches, uh, ride out the storm, as it were. And, um, and actually, this year, this academic year has been quite positive. So, um, yeah, we, we're OK, actually. I am going a bit of cab, got a bit of cabin fever as I sit here in my, uh, my study. Uh, <laughs> a lot, after the first few weeks, uh, a lot of my job um, as a chief executive involves meeting people, getting out, going to events. So ended up, uh, used to do a lot of travel. Uh, so for the first few weeks of lockdown, it was quite nice not to do that. Uh, mm. But after a few weeks, uh, I felt the balance had gone too far the other way. And, uh, and I do spend a lot of my day um, on video calls and conferences, uh, talking to people. I suppose that's the, uh, the alternative that everyone's jumped onto, isn't it? So It is, yeah. yeah. We've learned a lot and we've become much more slicker uh, and more professional at doing it. Uh, mm. But the, the, the disadvantage is, uh, or one of the advantages is, you can fit a lot more in your day. Uh, so you can chunk up your day to do a whole lot of different meetings, which mm. even if you were, say, at Cambridge, uh, go to Cambridge, uh, meet people, there's a bit of driving in between different companies or actually, you know, walking on corridors to meet different people. Here you can jump from one thing to another. So your your day can be blocked out almost by the hour. With, it's much more with efficient. Some, yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah. Once you jump from, uh, get your mind around jumping from one thing to the other and uh, nip to the loo and get a drink, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> your day can be gone. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, so if we jump to what the UK ASF, if we do a quick summary of that, and then we can um, follow through and see see how your career personally has progressed, if that's yeah, all right of course. With yeah, of course it is, James. Yeah, and as I say, uh, I think this is such an um, excellent initiative and uh, really, really happy to support you by, uh, by, by being one of your guests on this. Um, mm, thank you very much. Episode five. Yeah, that's good. It's good that it's, it's been, progress, uh, been. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's good that it's been uh, been successful. So, um, the UK Electronic Skills Foundation, uh, as I mm-hmm. say, a charity set up ten years ago, eleven years ago in 2010, mm-hmm. uh, and really it came out of the Trade Association for the Microelectronics Sector. Um, so the tra- the members uh, the member companies um, had been to events or they taught you know and and they felt that there was a problem and the problem was uh, there weren't enough graduate engineers. Um, mm. So skills, talent, uh, a pipeline into the industry, uh, aging workforce, not enough. Um, and uh, the reciprocal of that was universities felt that uh, numbers of students studying electronics was, uh, w- was declining. reducing. Yeah, yeah, declining. So it was like a, a vicious circle uh, and, and they felt they had to do something. So, so in, a, in effect, um, I, I, they decided to set up our foundation. Um, as an example of thinking outside the box, mm. looking at it from a different perspective. Uh, and, and the model was that we would try and uh, create a pipeline. Um, if you look back into school, we try and raise a profile of electronics within school, raise awareness. Mm. Uh, and then when people were at university, we would try and work with universities to connect students with employers mm. whilst they were undergraduates in order that they could um, that, that they could effectively getting work experience whilst they're undergraduates with a view that they would then work in the sector. Yeah. So, so, so that, that, that's um, uh, when they're at university, we call it a scholarship scheme. Um, and it started off with uh, five universities signed mm. up, uh, six companies, uh, one of which was ARM. Uh, so it was great to have ARM involved right at the outset. And in fact, uh, Warren East was the then CEO of ARM. 
uh, and he personally got involved. Uh, he spoke at a couple of events and, um, and donated some money. Uh, not a lot of money, uh, bearing in mind the size of arm, uh, but, but sufficient to get the organisation off the ground, um, as did some other companies, Dialogue, Semi uh, and Imagination Technologies. Hmm. So uh, it was really good to have those um, prestige companies involved right from the outset. And, and the first year it worked, we had 12 students involved in our scheme. Um, and they, they all graduated in 2012. Um, right. And so it's small, five universities, six companies, 12 students. Um, but since then, the program's gone from strength to strength. To strength. And overall, we've, we've had 650-ish students involved, uh, which is really great. Um, mm. And we now have 26 universities, uh, including York, where, where you are um, involved in, in our scheme. Uh, the, the most recent two were Liverpool and King's College London that, that have joined, uh, joined our scheme. Uh, right across the UK, so we have Queen's in Northern Ireland and Swansea and Cardiff in Wales um, and three universities in Scotland. So we're right across the UK. Uh, and each mm. year we get roughly 250 people apply for our scheme. And, and thankfully this year, uh, despite the pandemic, uh, companies are still keen to support our scheme. Uh, and we've, we've been able to help over 60 students. And, and what, our, what our offering is... Uh, and it is we, we do sell to companies. We, we do charge companies, and, and they're prepared to pay. Is it de-risk their graduate recruitment from, hmm. from their perspective? Uh, recruiting a graduate is um, time-consuming. Uh, there's an expense involved, and it's potentially risky. Even if uh, uh, they do an assessment centre or something, there's still a risk. Whereas if you get um, if you get a student in for a work placement uh, during the summer or, you can still or get longer, rid of them at you, the end. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, you, it's effectively an extent for both parties. You can see whether it works for you as a student and, and without that commitment. And, that, and that's what we yeah. offer. Um, we, we offer uh, and, and we help companies by reaching out to students so they don't have to go to so many universities. We can do all the uh, marketing, promotion, advertising, initial sifting. Uh, we use, use a standard application form so that helps them so they don't have lots of CVs. And equally from a student's point of view, uh, they don't have to um, necessarily do as much work in terms of preparing CVs and approaching companies. We act as a, as a connector. Hmm. What we also do as part of the program is we provide development opportunities for the students. So the, the, the idea is by the time they graduate, they'll have their, their degree, they'll have some work experience, but they'll also have some professional and personal development training. Hmm. Um, and, and these are things like, uh, and we do it as a residential course, uh, so it's quite an immersive experience. So it's things like communication skills, um, learning about negotiation, learning about ethics, learning about uh, cybersecurity, learning about patents and intellectual property, uh, about research. So, so all the things that you might need to know as a professional engineer, uh, we give you, uh, give people a, an insight. Also, right. we ask them to help uh, with our outreach activities because fundamentally, uh, although the scholarship schemes, the engine that drives our foundation, actually what we're trying to do is uh, reach back into schools um, and get more young people interested. So we ask the, the, the students on our, on our scheme to help us in some way. Now that can be supporting uh, an event at their university or one of our events or doing a video or writing something for us. Um, and the reason for doing that is uh, I, I'm a middle-aged bloke, so I can only relate so well. Even though I'm passionate about electronics and I, and I want to encourage more people, I realise for a teenage audience um, of, say, six formers, uh, my, my appeal uh, and impact is relatively <laughs> limited. Whereas you know, someone like yourself um, and similar people who are undergraduates or recent graduates, um, the, the idea is that, that six formers um, or people in key stage four can more relate to you rather than me um, and, and see themselves as you rather than, rather than me. Mm. Uh, and and that's, our, that's, that's our philosophy. I suppose that was a driving uh, thing from the start, wasn't it? It was the, the lack of young people overall. Yeah, and, and, and we've, we've done quite a lot of analysis about that. I mean, it's interesting to sort of take a step back and why is that, why is that the case? Or... Um, and you, and you, could, you can turn that around and say to, to me, why did I get into electronics uh, 30, 30 odd years ago? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but the world is it's very different. I'm, I'm talking to you uh, via my smartphone. There's, there's so much packed in a smartphone and, and young people are technology literate. 
in a sense of consumers of technology. They're aware of technology. They're, they're happy around technology. However, yeah. they don't actually necessarily think, oh, it's an ARM processor um, within the phone that's making it work or, or how, how it works, um, how the touchscreen works, how mm. the sensors work within it. And use, I, yeah, use that's right. That's right. And, and that's the success of electronics that, that is um, hidden away. It is miniaturized. It is taken for granted uh, because when, when I was young, it was effectively discrete components. Uh, so, so it was very vis uh, visual um, and you could see it, whereas now it's all hidden away. So you know, that, that's part of the success, but it is a dilemma. So, so if you're, uh, say, at school and interested in science and maths, uh, then, then the chances are you're going to think mechanical engineering or aeronautical engineering or something you can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So even though, you know, an aeroplane is fly by wire and there's so much electronics inside and cars have even more these you days. Don't notice it. Uh, absolutely. You still see the car. So you still see the Formula One car. You still see the cars and road. You see, still see the brands. Mm. But behind that, there's so much in terms of e electric vehicles, so power electronics, the batteries, um, and then all the sensors. Um, and actually the really clever things that, that, that make them vehicles um, certain levels of autonomy. No, that's exactly, exactly. I suppose when you started working with electronics as well, I mean, you could see everything physically. You, that was your bread and butter, whereas now it's yeah, different bread that, and butter. No, that's right. And, 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 and there were big name companies uh, that were predominantly electronics companies, maybe in the defense sector or, or well-known brands. Mm. Whereas if you, if you uh, the, the, the other factor or nature of the electronic sector in the UK is very fragmented. Mm. There's a whole lot of companies out there uh, that are doing really great things in different verticals, be a aviation, automotive, All medical. Absolutely. So, but yeah, but, but, you know, no one's heard of, um, and I just uh, picked them at random because I was talking to them a couple of days ago on semi who do, um, who do a whole lot of stuff around um, uh, image sensing really clever stuff stuff uh, great chips they're designing you know they have a lot of a uh, lot of jobs there but no one's heard of on semi and there's there's a whole lot of different um different companies out there uh, that, that that really aren't household names it's the bmws the british uh, the ba systems rolls royce absolutely it's at that level uh, when you think of engineering uh, so so that, that's that's a challenge and that's why that's why we exist to try and uh, make people aware of electronics and, and our, our our argument for at that level is it, it starts with uh, you're familiar with technology technology is the future we need technology to help solve uh, problems and make people's lives better electronic technology depends on electronics electronics is this this is what you can do um, and so therefore why not help solve problems make the world a better place by studying electronics that's a sort of uh, that's our sort of um, elevator pitch hmm. uh, to to young people. We also try and focus on outcomes as well because I think th th there's maybe in the past, uh, and I don't think electronics are great at marketing. We don't promote ourselves as great careers. Um, yeah. Other engineering disciplines do, but, but we don't. And maybe we focus on the process of doing electronics hmm. rather than using electronics to make people's lives better or to create products. Well, that's usually what the engineers like doing. So I know myself and like everyone I've spoken to, they like the process of doing it as opposed to the outcome. Because then you've built it, you're like, yep, I've done that. Next thing. What am I building next? Yes. Uh, and uh, dare I say, that's a, uh, and I, I get that. That's a very male trait. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the evidence, uh, we like doing things. We associate with verbs. We do like that process. Mm. Um, but but there's, there, there is um, quite a lot of evidence out there that, that females think about outcomes and they, right. they work back. So if they're motivated by the goal rather than the process, mm -hmm. um, if you look at the women in science and engineering campaign, they've, they've done quite a lot of, of research that, that, uh, that girl, and girls are motivated, not necessarily by the process. They'll do that. Their motivation comes from, okay, I need to understand the process and go through the, in order to achieve an outcome. Right, so they've got a so, more mature, should I, I shouldn't say mature, but mature approach to it. So if you've been working in industry and you come back to studying, that's the same approach that mature students seem to have. I, I think that's true. And uh, that, that's an interesting observation. Where I, I do uh, People who do have a year out when they come back, uh, they, they, 
the evidence is, um, and I've seen this anecdotally, uh, I should say um, I'm a visiting professor at Aston University. So right. I work quite closely at Aston University and see students there. Uh, the, the, there is, uh, the tutors will say, there's quite a, a, a marked change hmm. from a second year to uh, the final year student who's been in industry for, for a period of time coming back in terms of, yeah, that, 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 that fitting together and that bigger picture. And I think that's a, that's a really interesting point as well. Aye. Well, if we, if we take it first then to schools then, and we start from a lower Ooh. age in terms of what the UKSF do, UK ESF do, sorry. Um, yeah. Is that the same sort of, not? so it's not marketing to them, it's um, promoting to them. But I'm guessing you don't have the same strategy because you can't be selling younger people, like really younger people on, look what you could do when you're 60. That's not a, a no. time frame from them. So what, what sort of thing would you do and what would you say for the like the really younger audience to to start with if they're interested in engineering? Uh, well, uh, that, that's the key. Uh, I, I'm happy with a younger audience that they're, they're interested in engineering. Um, as I said, we're, we're a small organisation. And um, if you say there's primary school, there's the early stage of secondary school um, and a sixth form, right. um, w w which which of the which of those areas? should you intervene you could you could argue if you've got enough resources something like the institute of engineering technology the iet that they try and have interventions at all those different areas mm. uh, but there's something like twenty-eight thousand primary schools in the uk so trying to reach twenty-eight thousand primary schools it, it needs a lot of resources yeah time, absolutely right? uh, so, so the pragmatic and um, pragmatic approach we've taken is largely our work is focused on six formers Right. And the reason for saying that is there's a whole lot of other organisations like Tomorrow's Engineers, the Institute of Engineering and Technology, as I mentioned, or Academy of Engineering, that are doing fantastic work raising the profile or an interest in science, technology, engineering and, and math at that younger age. And that's mm. great. So, so that they do that and people are interested. What we're interested in is maybe those uh, six formers who are taking the subjects we're interested in, like maths and physics, mm. and saying to them, you're interested in this, uh, rather than, um, and I've crudely say, mechanical engineering. Actually, if you really want to make a difference and find a, a, a great, great um, specialization of engineering, think about electronics. So most of our interventions are around six formers. Mm. And, and, and that's for two reasons, as I say. Uh, it, it's, it's pragmatic because we've got limited resources. Therefore, we've got a target. Um, uh, we can focus on that. And, and secondly, we're not trying to make the overall number of people interested in engineering bigger because it's already pretty big. And as organizations working on, what we're trying to do is increase our increase our slice. Uh, and, and we've got projects targeting uh, physics and computer science. So so. Again, our rationale there is there's electronics and electrical uh, elements within the physics curriculum, mm -hmm. but the physics curriculum is quite broad. And actually, the resources that teachers have are maybe not that smart, not that engaging. And actually, the teachers themselves may be not that confident at delivering that part of the curriculum. Yeah. As I say, physics is a very broad curriculum. Um, and, and therefore, we've developed, um, particularly with Southampton University, a collaboration we've done there um, around um, the A-level physics. Um, so we've got a potential divider, Planck's constant, capacitive discharge on a really clever tactile board mm. that we, uh, we're supporting resources. So we can promote electronics almost by stealth uh, in that way. And, and, and in fact, we're, we're working with York at the moment on one uh, for music technology uh, right. for, for slightly younger children there, um, key stage uh, three and four. Uh, it's around sound and waves um, and it's a sort of pseudo synthesizer, uh, which which is great uh, because it's a, it, it comes at it from a different uh, different dimension through the curriculum. Mm. Um, our, our other our other, if you like, uh, philosophy is we, we try and target state schools um, and target the curriculum because if you if you're focusing on people who are already interested in out of school clubs and so on, that's all well and good. But but if the aim is to get more people interested they aren't going to go to that club. They aren't going to go to an out-of-school club at that stage. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, you're, you're just reinforcing. So our, our aim is, um, yeah, state schools and the curriculum. So you're the spark as opposed to the, like, the maintaining it, which so you give them a yeah, bit of information. Absolutely. 
allow them to make the right choices and then you're there at the end of sixth form to be like we got this and this and opportunity wise yeah absolutely and and one of the other things we do is residential courses so people thinking about uh oh well, well we, before the pandemic there were residential courses but <laughs> but um, now um so effectively university taster courses so uh, we work with our, uh, our partner universities um, mm. and organize res- uh, courses for uh, year 12 lower six people in the first year of a level to say go go go, go and see what it's like uh, learn about electronics see what uh, a job in electronics would be like um, and see what it would be like to study electronics at a university um, and uh, part of that is uh, we've got a great kit um, it's actually um, uh, an Arduino based kit uh, right. from Grove um, which um, which uh, is, is great it doesn't involve any soldering um, I've got a, a philosophy that soldering can put people off. It's the first first thing that happens yeah. when people talk about electronics is you start soldering, um, you know, and uh, and something goes wrong or you focus on that. That, that that's not great. But but looking at looking at um, uh, you know a a, a a project that that has a lot of sensors um, and and that whole getting something done, even if it's just flashing a light, that, then that sense of achievement. If we can give more people that. Uh, I, I think I think that's a way of um, of encouraging people to get into electronics. I think Absolutely. we need to raise awareness, raise a profile, get people talking about it. People like you talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, people that that children, um, um, school uh, children, sixth formers can relate to, to make them interested, make them curious about it, mm-hmm. and then give them hands-on activities. Because I think. It is uh, most people, most engineers are kinesthetic learners. They they learn by doing. So it's all well and good to understand some of the theory, but yeah. actually the success of of achieving something, as you said, the process of building something, getting it to work, that that that's that's fantastic. Very true. Or or if it doesn't work, why hasn't it worked? And can can I can I improve that you make process? It work. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's I, it. No, I found that um, in all my places that I've worked. Even things like when you first get to grips with any kind of development board, there's usually a blinking LED involved. And that's yeah. that's qualified engineers that have been working for 30 years. <laughs> so if that's yeah, working the, then, it's working at a younger age uh, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think see, seeing success and understanding understanding how things connect together, how things are controlled, the simple, simple uh, programming and... Um, uh, because we take a very broad view of electronics, embedded systems um, and coding is definitely part of of how we see see electronics. Yeah, because um, yeah, everything's very digital now, isn't it? So the tools are there, like accessibly. Like they're very accessible, all the tools that are there. So it's just pointing people to them and having something that's fun and rewarding for them to do, for them to have interest in it, really, and leave a mark yeah. on them. Yeah, I, I, absolutely right. Yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, digital. Yeah, I think analog is quite important as well. You know, and the fact that it's both. But but yeah, absolutely, get, achieving something, and and then using imagination. So so the kit that we've got, it's got a number of sensors. Uh, so, so part of it would be to say to people, okay, so we've shown you how to how to m- make something, make something work. What else could you do with that? Um, an, an example could be, you know, if 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 an old person's carrying a tray. Mm. You you might want um, you might want a sensor to sensor the tray with, with, with a cup of tea on, uh, so so you might want a sensor to say actually the angle of the tray is such that the til- the, 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 the the cup of tea is going to spill uh, and then have some sort of audible alarm. Uh, yeah. So so solving a problem. Well, how would you do that? Um, uh, that that was just off the top of my head, but but that's the sort of thing that that would be really uh, really interesting and, and achievable to do so yeah i, I said uh, how did i get into electronics you were saying um, earlier i i, I started uh, i guess i was always curious about curious uh, to learn and and through physics and so on but um back in back in the early 80s when i was doing my a levels in the in in year 12 your lower six of it called then hmm. you could do additional subjects as well as the a levels you'd chosen and the option cropped up that uh, to do um, O-level computing, which was brand new. Computing was brand new, wh- wow. which uh, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I think I was one of the first people to do O-level computing, and um, and and O also O-level electronics. And we went. Uh, a few of us went every morning uh, 
uh, not every morning, sorry, one morning a week uh, to the local tech college where we where we did electronics, which was just fascinating. And I, I just wow. I just uh, at that point that, that that's where I uh, my interest um, uh, developed. And, you know, uh, because it was interesting to learn and it was specific and it seemed uh, I was always interested in radios and TVs and things and uh, um, sound which I thought, you know, speakers are just um, uh, really interesting. The way, uh, you know, electrical signal causes, causes the, the cone to vibrate and that translates into waves. Just mm. that sort of basic stuff I just found really interesting. So I went to one, one morning uh, a week to the local tech college to do, um, and it was a bit of a sky, it was great. It was, it was about 10 miles away. We went on a bus and it was a bit of, uh, you know, had, had our lunch in town. I come from a small village, so so that was uh, you know that, that that was part of it. But it was really interesting to learn, and we did projects, really simple projects. So I remember just you know um, with a uh, light-dependent resistor, uh, a sort of um, a light that came on in the dark. It mm. was really simple, all analog, uh, all on breadboards. But but uh, that that was that was the sort of start of it really. Very simple, but you can see you can see the results straight away. So you, you can understand the theory behind it all you want. But if you never see it, then you don't. It doesn't make the link in your brain. Oh, that's so right. Yeah, I, I just found you know transistors and semiconductors fascinating. They're, they're, um, you know how how do they how do they work at that sort of chemical level? Uh, and then um, uh, uh, and the, have it in your yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I thought they were, they were really and. And, you know, take the back of a radio and look at the circuit and uh, and actually build a radio because uh, actually it was pretty simple. And there was magazines like Practical Wireless and I forget what the other, but th th it was quite easy to, to make things. Yeah. Um, so so that, that's where my interest uh, arose from. It's quite some uh, commitment for yourself at like a young age. A lot of people wouldn't think to commit that much to something. I suppose you said there's a Skyrim element to it. There, but... there, there, there was a getting out of school and it was, uh, yeah. And, and I went with uh, three or four other people. Uh, so mm. that was uh, that was quite good, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I ended up with, um, uh, yeah, O-level uh, computing and O-level electronics um, at the end of, end of my uh, year 12, as it's now called, lower six. Then I then I did my A levels, and uh, I think I'd always always wanted to be an engineer of sorts, um, and and that sort of cemented it really. Um, and I ended up going to uh, Salford University um, Salford. in Manchester. Yeah, I'm actually from uh, Windermere in the Lake District. That's where, oh, that's wow. where I'm from. Um, so I went Illinois. to went to Salford. Well, that's right. yeah, beautiful beautiful place, which I didn't appreciate growing up. Um, I've appreciated much uh, as I've grown up, and I go back, uh, still go back. My dad still lives there. Um, and I, I enjoy um, enjoy the outdoors uh, now. But when I was growing up, yeah, no, it didn't uh, wasn't wasn't necessarily my thing. So I went to uh, went to Salford University, uh, which was uh, a real real contrast. Um, Manchester Salford in the eighties was uh, was a very different to uh, very different to the Lake District and very different to Sol how Salford is these days. Oh, but yeah. it was a very it was a very practical university. It was very focused on engineering, which I liked. Um, I, I struggled a bit at university, if I'm honest, um, and, and that's because in those days it was a BSc rather than a, a Bachelor of Engineering. It sort of predates Bachelor of Engineering and Master of Engineering degrees, mm. um, and, and it was very theoretical. Uh, and also the, the standard and focus of teaching was uh, it was you were lectured at in mm. large rooms um, at an amazing pace. Uh, so I remember... Uh, particularly, uh, you know, signal theory, Did because uh, I chose electronics and communication. So we did a lot on signal theory. So there's a whole lot of maths involved. Um, and I remember trying to understand Maxwell's laws um, right, of yeah. electromagnetism, which, um, yeah, baff baffling. <laughs> it's baffling anyway, even if you get taught on a degree that's put together in a good way to aim to help you learn. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and I also think um, there's a lot to be said for, uh, I think I was on an academic conveyor belt, if you will. So, so um, I'd always um, been worked hard at school and, and liked school and uh, was academic and mm. uh, you, you end up on a conveyor belt. I, I think I've probably uh, with hindsight um, slightly and not quite ready for for university at that stage, and I did struggle in the first year with the transition. It it, it I I it was okay, but the, the um, 
and, and that's why I, I've got a lot of respect for students and uh, sort of admire what they're doing. And, um, mm. and you know, very conscious that we put a lot of pressures on students uh, because because I, 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 I still, re, you know, I reflect back to my own uh, time as a student. Absolutely. So do you think if you were put back in the position where you were, when you said you're not quite ready for the university like commitment, would mm. you have suited um, an apprenticeship or something similar? Well, maybe, yes, maybe that, that that's uh, that that's certainly uh, certainly I think, and I think that's the advantage of a, a, a BNG and an MNG degree is that is that work placement and and that mm. uh, that, that that sort of um, integration because I think engineering uh, is three things and you need to develop all three aspects. You need you definitely need the theoretical knowledge and understanding, Absolutely. but you you need you need training in the, you need to develop the skills, mm. and also you need to develop your experience on projects and doing things. So so those three things um, uh, need to be in equilibrium. Um, yeah. uh, certainly certainly uh, my experience and and uh, at that time in the eighties it, it it wasn't it was out of kilter, which I guess was a recognition when. Um, BNG and MNG degrees came in. Hmm. Um, that, that that something needed to change, and it, and universities weren't producing the output that that the profession needed to. Needed yeah. to. There is there is still a challenge. There's, there's still a challenge that because um, I think it was a recent uh, a couple of years ago. There was an IET survey that said 46 percent um, of engineering graduates don't meet the reasonable expectations of industry. Um, <laughs> Wow, okay. uh, you, you you can challenge, uh, uh, and I have challenged. You know, what, what is the word reasonable? Uh, what is the reasonable expectations? And 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 part of what we do at the foundation, our our, our philosophy is, uh, of, of course, yeah, the, of course, the output from university doesn't meet a hundred percent the needs of industry. That's because it's not the university's job to do that. No, it's course. also it's also um, it, it's also unrealistic to expect someone who's 21 22 who's probably only yeah absolutely and, and i think it's understanding the context and the world of work and uh, and a whole lot of other things so mm. so i our, our philosophy is it's a collaboration we need yeah. to collaborate we need to we need industry and universities to work together and understand uh, uh to, to 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 provide to provide that pathway for students and graduates to go into the sector and um, because if you take a Again, let's take a step back. Our, our charity, our, our aim is to get more young people aware of and interested in electronics. Great. You know, they'll go on to university. But, but what we need to ensure is that they, they progress, they transition through to the world of work um, and work in the sector. Other, otherwise, if they don't for whatever reason or it's difficult or um, uh, there's barriers in the way, but that then, then the rest of our activities are pointless. Yeah, the interest grinds to a halt, and then not that they dip to a different career, but they they nudge towards things that are more comfortable, because it can be quite well, aggressive. The uh, the change, even in industry and year in industry placement, the the change from being entirely by yourself with um, you know course work to be getting on with and new things to being yeah. dropped in something with a project that you know nothing about and unexpected to go. Yeah, no, that's that's really uh, really interesting point, James. And we're actually doing some work at the moment about uh, work readiness of graduates in the electronic sector, and hmm. um, be, because of surveys like I mentioned, the IET, and there's a whole lot of um, other research that uh, of this disconnect, this delta between university and industry. So, so work readiness of graduates, as you say, uh, and you hit on a really good point. We we, we had a round table with um, some industry figures to understand. Uh, from their perspective to kick off this research. And, and the point you made is really important that, that, that at university and, and actually all through your academic career, your school career, you as an individual, success depends on you largely. Yeah. Um, the harder you work, the better you do, um, you know, the quicker you grab things, you know, it's all about you mm. um, as an individual. Absolutely not in industry, uh, in the world of work. Success is how well the team does. Yeah. And how well the project does. You're given a project or there's a project. And, and actually, you as an individual, of course, you matter. I'm not saying you don't matter. But, but the, 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 really, the really big thing is, you know, can, is the project, uh, what's the outcome of the project? Does yeah. it work? Is it in budget? Does it fit in with the timescales um, and the commercial on all, all the organizational um, things? So, yeah. so, yeah, yeah. And um, one of the people on the round table, 
had a really good anecdote that that um that the the student who was on placement uh, was faced with a problem didn't know the answer so so uh, this this person's uh, solution to that and there's nothing wrong with this this is what a student would do you know lock themselves away in a room figuratively mm -hmm. um with a whole lot of books a whole lot of resources and try and figure it out yep uh, actually actually you know the, the optimal answer is you know ask somebody else talk to Go your on. teammates exactly. talk to your colleagues and 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 ask questions um there's this um and it's one of my uh, my my um beliefs you know judge somebody by the questions they ask and i think asking questions is a really good way of of checking understanding and and join so yeah getting getting people into that team uh quickly and effectively and and how teams work understanding how teams work is really important Oh, absolutely. I suppose it's the difference then between personal development and what you know as an individual, like it's been all the way through, even in university mostly, where you have to know X content, Y content, how to do things to an environment where everyone's there to support each other and you've got to get the Z task completed as opposed to everyone's got to be on the same page with everything. That's yeah, really and, and I think, I think yeah, and, and again, nail, nail on the head there. It's, um, yeah, working together, and sharing knowledge and and being successful, and I think that's what those those are behaviours that employers look for in uh, students and and graduates. And actually, you know, and I think people like you can work that out or find that out. What what we need to do is um, make you aware that that's what that's the um, transition. Yeah, that's a transition. And I think universities have a role to play and uh, and and how to to advise and and provide opportunities for that. Hmm. I, th I think group projects are a really good, um, really good way forward. I don't know if you have them on your course. A lot of absolutely, them, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That I think they are good. Uh, they are they have certain limitations because you're put together as a new team, so you've got to you you go through um, and there's a whole lot of theory about teamwork and so on. But but effectively, you're you're forming a team, whereas in in the world of work, you're joining an established team, and yeah. you you as a new starter have to understand uh, the culture. The way the team works um, and, and those sorts of things. There's probably a whole lot of behaviours um, and, and things that, that, that you need to pick up. You're not just establishing them from t um, from scratch. But certainly, certainly, group projects are, are a great way to demonstrate that you can work in a team um, yeah. and, and and learn from that. Uh, I think every opportunity, even if things go wrong, uh, I think part part of uh, another observation about the academic and educational system is. You're not really allowed to fail at any point. Yeah, you, and failing got, is learning. Got, well, uh, no, it absolutely is. So, yeah, um, you know, the, um, the famous uh, examples of uh, you know, why is WD40 called WD40? Because it was okay. Uh, so it was know. the 40th iteration. Oh, right. Or, <laughs> so, so it's water, water, water uh, dispersal. Uh, WD is um, yeah. So, so, um, but uh, yeah, it was a 40th iteration. Wow. Um, yeah, that would never uh, be allowed in uni. Like that would be that's no, it. You're off the course. Start again. <laughs> well, well, no, there's absolutely there's an element of that. And, and if you go back to school, then then you're expected to uh, yeah accumulate knowledge, pass assessments by a certain age, um, and and go on. And and I think yeah, em employers aren't looking for that necessarily. And that's why uh, sometimes you know taking a step back. Um, and and I heard that uh, and. And again, going back to girls, it's really interesting that um, high-achieving girls don't like to fail. Um, and, and I heard a, 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 some research done by the Institute of Physics um, of, of certain girls' schools that, that um, had a failure week. So, so it was sort of in the summer term when you're doing your enrichment and project activities, it was, you know, you, you are allowed to fail. You know, try things, as you yeah, say. Try uh, you yeah. push the boat. Yeah, and, and as long as you learn from that and understanding why they failed, then that's yeah. really important. Um, I think as engineers, part of our professional code is to be reflective. Um, mm. And that comes across when, when you're looking at things like professional registration. And often it's um, with hindsight. OK, so it didn't work. With hindsight, what would you have done differently? What did you learn from that? And, yeah. and I think, I think those, those are great traits to, to, to have. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, thinking about my um, my Facebook feed the other day, because I'm on quite a few groups to try and be you know, like networking and things. Um, mm -hmm. The it was just a, oh, the video was really funny. It was um, a video of finally a presentation, and then equated to it, and it's just 
a system that was entirely bodged, and there's a guy pushing the pen down the ramp and chasing after it and making it look like it worked, and saying, in hindsight, and then everything that they do different, and the list was bigger than the success list, but that's every project that I've ever done for uni and for school. But it's got a trend. It's not failure, because that's a terrible way to look at everything, mm. but it's it's a lot of potential to learn more. You know? Yeah, absolutely. They're learning opportunities, definitely. And um, uh, it's even better if, you know, yeah. what went well and even better if. And, and, as, and as long as you learn from the, the, those, uh, those things that didn't go right, then, mm. then that list of, you know, th- th- uh, with hindsight, I would have done this differently. That, that's great because that's proper learning, isn't it? I, yeah. I think there's a, there's a whole lot of academic research about how people learn. But I think that's cool. Yeah, th- there, there is um, that learning by doing. Uh, it reinforces that learning you remember uh, it a lot don't you because you're like i was i was stupid doing that or like yeah, yeah stupid mistakes stick with you no that's right and and i think um th- th- there's quite a lot of research and, and talk at the moment about mindset. mindset um if you've got a fixed mindset hmm. you, you know if you're if you're always achieving and you're successful then actually when you stop being successful or you reach a barrier, then it's really difficult. What people are trying to advocate you have is a growth mindset mm. that you do learn, you do try things, you, you know you might not be able to do it first of all, but can you break the task down? Can you make it simpler? Can you do it in a different way? Can, yeah. you, can you build up? So, so yeah, developing a growth mindset and, and being positive, I think is, is, um, is really important. And it sort of leads on to, you know, what are employers looking for? Um, going back to uh, people looking for placements or graduate jobs. Well, well, they're not just looking for that knowledge and understanding. They're looking for that, that reflection about, yes, I've been involved in these projects and I've, this is what I've learned. Um, and I think they're looking for over and above your degree. And I know how difficult we, we just said degrees are and how, how, how time consuming an MN degree can be but actually you know you've got to somehow differentiate yourself from everyone else who's got a I'll say a 2-1 from a you know a a decent university uh, with with an MN and how do you do that well well, it's through um, showing that you're interested you've got that innate interest in engineering you've got that yeah you've got that curiosity and and how can you do that well you know, if you certainly if you're going for a software job, then then people will expect you to have produced code um, and, and be able to show that, you know, on um, on open source sites and things. If you're going for a hardware job, take along something you've built. Talk about something you've built. It's interesting. It's really interesting when you're talking to people or interviewing, they can be quite, um, you know, not not engaged. Hmm. Yes, they're answering a the question, but you can just tell by looking at someone from the eye contact and uh, the speed, how they talk, the, the, the way they become uh, more agitated, yeah. that, that they're engaged. So, so often you, you can get somebody who's maybe, uh, you know, just, just going not through the motions, but performing in, in a certain way, get them to talk about their project and they light up. They're share. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, nothing wrong with taking your project in, uh, talk, uh, as well as talking about it, showing it, sharing it. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, what you're doing with this podcast, have other interests. I think having broad interests, music, sport, a whole lot of things that, that show that you, uh, the teamwork inside, that you've got energy, that you, you can do th- different things. That, mm. that, that's, what em- that's what employers um, are, are, are like. I, I think that there's an expectation that you will know about the world of work. Um, mm. Obviously, uh, you get that through work, um, through work placements and internships yeah. and things like that. But, but understanding, as we were saying earlier, that the world of work is different from higher education or any form of education yeah. and how you fit into um, the world of work and the expectations that, that you, you employers have. Hmm. I, I've heard, and I know it's true, anecdotes that, you know, if, if, you're, if the five of you going for an interview and in the day, uh, you, you pitch up. Um, and you're at reception at the start of or waiting waiting for your interviews. You all have your interviews, uh, mm. and then you go on a tour of the facilities. Um, actually, you know, it's a whole day they will take into consideration. So they might even ask the receptionist for her opinion or their opinion <laughs> uh, on on how how you came across. How so, enthused you are know, with it, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, certainly, certainly when I've, I've gone to new companies or um, for interviews, you know, be polite to the receptionist, be 
be um, yeah uh, engaged right from that first moment. And certainly as you're being shown round, um, if you immediately after the interview turn off and don't ask any questions or don't show any interest, then that, that will be noted. You need to be engaged and, and ask really good questions. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and in terms of um, interviews and knowledge, mm. then I, th I think the key attribute that employers like is the ability to abstract and speculate and build on your knowledge. So, so they, they, you will get asked technical questions. They're not trying to find out what you know. They're trying to find out how you think. So they might talk about, um, give, give you a, a scenario, draw your circuit, ask you about a, a cer certain, um, uh, well, I'll give you an example. You know, uh, they might give you a, a certain, certain uh, software program or code and say, well, well, how would I make that faster? How would I make that operation faster? And, and, and they, they will generally help you yeah. With, um, with, with that, what they want to do is see how you think. Can yeah. you apply your knowledge? Can you take what you know, apply it to a scenario that you might not have thought of um, or beyond what you know? Um, the more you know, the more they'll press you. But, it, but it's that ability to think on your feet, to speculate, to come up with something. Um, that's definitely a trait that they would expect to uh, ask the right questions as well. I know in my un university interview, I didn't know what I was given on a piece of paper, but if you ask the questions like, what is this? Or what is this? What, you know, I've seen this symbol before. Is this similar to this? That they'll happily give you the information, but if you didn't ask, they would never, they never give you anything for it. They'd let you figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good. And, and the other thing is say what you know, if you, if you, if you if you know the answer, if you can if you can draw you know the the, the major blocks on a on a CPU, yeah. Uh, how how does a C then then that's great. Um, even if you can do that, even if you can't do that, say what you do know. Um, and and they, they will, people that your interviewer will generally help you because what they want to do is see see how you can use that knowledge. Can you can you speculate? Can you apply yeah. what you've known? Um, and I, I think that's a really important thing that perhaps universities um, don't don't necessarily focus on um, mm. or students don't realize it's a really important important part of um, uh, how they come across absolutely and I think people get very worked up and closed up about it and you, you just got to remember that all engineers are in the same bubble and everyone's been through the same experiences at some point, whether it's more intense, less intense in Oxford uni or an apprenticeship or, you know, it, everyone's been through the same kind of nervous speaking to someone who's really, really qualified. And, you know, no one's trying to trip you up or anything. They're just trying to understand you a bit better. Yeah, absolutely. They, they want you, to, they're trying to give you the opportunity and, and to help you. And absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, no, they, no one's expected to know everything at hmm. all. Um, and it is uh, how, how you apply your knowledge, how you find out the questions you ask, um, as, you, as you just said, um, and how the team works. And I don't think students um, are necessarily focused on those things because of the way they become institutionalized through school and university, focusing on knowledge, understanding, individual success, assessments, not wanting to fail. Um, yeah. and, and those those sorts of things, which which are different from uh, from the world of work. No, completely, completely. Um, so slightly slightly different to that. Then um, okay. How about if we talk like a bit about networking? Um, so, okay. what's your opinion on as a student? Let's go from a student perspective. You're in mm. university or something. How would you go about? building up a not a support network but a, a contact network in the industry um like how important do you think that is um because i know there's events um there was a comp yeah. competitions that UKESF support and all things like that which you can get involved in and then you get invited to places and there's all kind of conferences but none of them are hugely pushed on students or on uh, apprentices or anything like that it's mm. all just if you're interested a little bit you're welcome to come but you got to find it yourself. So what, A, what would you do um, if you're back as in a student's position and B, how important is that? Um, I think it's um, relatively important. It's not the be all and end all, um, mm. uh, but there's certain things that I think um, everyone should do. Um, and I think having a LinkedIn profile is absolutely one of those. LinkedIn? Um, yeah, absolutely. 
uh, and and by doing that you can create those networks and 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 see what's going on across different organizations mm. um, and on organizations that are worth um, getting involved with are the IET the IEEE uh, those sorts of organizations right, um, uh, yeah absolutely uh, which and really just uh, areas that you might be interested in so if you're interested in startups or, a, or being an entrepreneur mm. uh, th th then just try and um, find networks and there are networks that, that, that support and are interested in that and often if you find somebody on LinkedIn uh, that they who, who say you're into RF engineering um, right. and you find um, or you what you think you might be into RF engineering you're doing a project that then then you know talk to people send them a message and generally people will respond to that um, and, and be be encouraging you know I'm interested in RF and I saw I saw you did this role at this company uh, I'm interested in our you know can, you're not asking them for a job what you're saying is you know can can you can you advise me can you help me can you steer me in the right direction how did you start and yes. generally people will, will do that so I would say that, um, that, that virtual net networking through LinkedIn uh, and similar platforms is really important. Finding out events and going to events, uh, there's, there's an element that, that, that is useful. Often it can feel quite intimidating because yeah. uh, you may well be one of the youngest people there uh, and, oh, it, and, you, sure. and you, you get a sense that everyone knows everyone else and you're feeling excluded. Mm. Uh, uh, it's not always the case, and you know, um, a lot of a lot of more senior people uh, uh, don't necessarily instinctively like networking in in that sense. Sometimes, if there's an, maybe you just take a deep breath um, and and just go for it, and just talk to uh, challenge yourself to talk to three random strangers, <laughs> which yeah. uh, which I've I've certainly personally done at, at, at events. Um, uh, 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 yeah, I think the IET organised some good events, um, and, and that, that that could be a way uh, within uh, to, to to start rather than going in cold to say a particular uh, conference or something like that. Um, so that would be that would be my my, uh, my uh, advice. Maybe talk to your lecturers and see what they're interested in and how they network and whether they've got any advice because um, uh, they they've got networks as well. Um, uh, but I think reaching out to people on LinkedIn. Is a, is a safe way of doing it um, without expending too much time and effort. That's true. I suppose it's a lot of commitment, isn't it, to attend an event as well, even if you're completely fine with talking to people. And there's no guarantee that you're going to meet someone that's in, not the same wavelength, but the same the same um, area as what you're interested in to get in. Yeah, I, I think that comes later, that when you find uh, you are maybe on a work placement or associating a particular area, then your company will support that as part of your development and and you can maybe go with someone from your company um but i think going going solo um is is quite daunting for for mo would be quite daunting for most of us absolutely absolutely uh, competitions um entering competitions uh, yeah may, maybe um maybe we should publicize our competitions more or or universities uh, do more but competitions is a great way of going above and beyond Absolutely, mm. and, and standing out. Even if you don't win, just just entering a competition actually, you know, that gives you something else to talk about and um, and something else to write about. No, definitely, definitely. I mean, is it something that you'd be um, interested in if you were back in a younger position? Um, I would say you're interested in your RF and your radios. Would would you be entering competitions, or are you happy building on no, your desk yourself? No, I think so. I think uh, I think uh, with hindsight, yeah. Um, you do need to raise your profile and, and, it's, um, and uh, raising, uh, entering competitions is a way of raising that profile and giving you something else to write about um, mm. on your CV or, or your application. It's um, often there's open questions at the end of the application. And, and if you haven't got anything else to say, that then, yeah, you, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Well, if we move on now to... Um... Electrocast five final questions just to okay. give you some fun questions here. Yeah, um, they're not judged in any way or anything like that. They're <laughs> just so. If we start with the first question here, um, what's your favourite interview question? So one that you've experienced yourself, or one that you're going to ask me, or what's your favourite question that you've come across? Oh gosh. Um, well, whenever I've been interviewed myself. Mm -hmm. um, and they say, have you got any questions for us? 
I say, what does success look like? Right. How, so what? So if I'm going for a role, mm -hmm. how how will I? If I get the role, how will you judge if I'm successful or not? Um, uh, that's a smart one. What, 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 what are you expecting of me? Effectively, I'm saying, what are you expecting of the person who does this role? And it might be that we want to achieve X in Y uh, by and those sorts of things. Or it might be something more um, nebulous or abstract. So uh, I did ask that question um, when I was interviewed for this job, uh, yeah. uh, the, the UKSF job uh, on my final interview. Uh, and um, it was with the, the chairman uh, of the foundation. And his response was, I, re I really liked it wasn't I want you to grow the, the foundation by by this and I want this no he, it was much more long term he said I, I want to create an ecosystem I want to create a, a cadre of people who've been through our system mm. that, that are working in the sector and in the future will be the future leaders of the electronic sector uh, and I thought that was great because that, that showed he's got vision he's got aspiration and he wasn't that uh, I need to uh, achieve 10 percent of whatever but but yeah no that's my favorite um oh wow that's yeah. my that's my favorite uh question uh, if i'm ever asked uh, have you got any questions for us questions that i ask people i i like the well what did you learn from that hmm. uh, with high, yeah i i like that so yeah generally it'll be tell me a bit about your project tell me about your project okay that's mm -hmm. fair enough and then the one that I, I think I learn most about people is, well, well, what did you learn from that? What did you and learn because, from that? I suppose it's reflection, yeah, so isn't it? it? Absolutely reflection, yeah. And, and you, you see people um, thinking about that and, and it comes slightly unexpected. But, but yeah, that, it is that reflection, James. Uh, so that's my favourite uh, or most useful question to ask in an interview. <laughs> it's most useful, but not favourite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so next one, um, if you're a phone, what model and make would you be? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll tell you about my favorite phone. <laughs> so, right. so should that be, yeah, should be, uh, I was a massive fan of Blackberries, massive fan of Blackberry. Um, and right. I had a Blackberry bold. I, I loved it. The bold. Yeah. I think I had one of those when I was in high school. Well, it was revelationary uh, for me because yeah, uh, and, and my family joke about uh, about the fact that that was my favorite phone. And I, I clung on to it a lot longer than I should. But ergonomically, the keyboard, it had keys and the buttons and it was the best thing ever for doing emails, which is what I was um, at that time. It was pre social media, uh, pre pre apps, if you like, uh, maybe yeah, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and most of my work involved uh, doing emails. Just the fact that I could have something, you know, the size of a pack of cards in my pocket um, that I could do emails on. I could do them uh, with, with my thumbs yeah. uh, ergonomically. I love the big screen. So, yeah, a BlackBerry Bold. If I was going to be a phone, I'd be a BlackBerry Bold. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, that could be an interview question. And now you know, now you're prepared. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bit sort of, yeah, ask questions to throw people off and see how they, uh, what's it, if you were a phone, what model would you do? <laughs> um, what's the most inspirational person that you've ever met so far? Well, what, what's the most inspirational person that you've ever met? Okay. Um, I'm thinking about that. Sorry, I guess a pause is not great for a podcast, is it? So, um, so, <laughs> so inspirational. I guess it, what... Uh, not 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 to be difficult uh, it depends how you interpret inspirational so Personally for yourself yeah so, so people that have inspired me um, if i go back to when i was young mm -hmm. there was there were several teachers that inspired me really inspired me um to uh work hard to want to learn and, yep. and to pursue the career that i have so so they they were the most inspirational people at that time because they made me want to follow uh, a certain path um, and yeah, there was a math teacher um, and I, I did engineering drawing. I really loved engineering drawing and um, he um, engineering drawing teacher treaters like adults. It was great. And he was also massively into um, aircraft. So every time uh, living in the Lake District, there was a lot of low flying. 
And most mm. teachers hated it because it was disruptive when the aircraft flew. But, uh, but this particular teacher, uh, our tech drawing teacher, uh, used to used to stop and, and talk about the aircraft. And I think that's one of the reasons I got interested in aircraft and the, and the RAF. Mm. Um, I, I think people that, um, that gave me confidence. I didn't have a lot of confidence um, when I was really young. Uh, and so, you know, coaches and, and teachers that said, yeah, you've done well and, and you can do this. Um, I think th those were people that inspired me. Hmm. Um, in terms of people that I admire um, that I've met and, and so on, uh, and I guess people that I admire and respect, that, that's what I take as when you say inspirational. Yeah, I, it gets I think, you thinking. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of Bill Gates. Bill I, Gates. Think, um, I think he's... I like his calmness. I like his thoughtfulness. I like clearly he's been very successful uh, and I like his broader uh, philanthropy that he does. Um, and he talks sensibly about if you look back about uh, the possibility of pandemic, which was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't unexpected. And I think, you know, more people of the Bill Gates uh, mode, you know, when I hear Barack Obama speak, he's always very thoughtful and makes me listen. And I, and I think recently, if you say who who's inspired me um, to to change things or listen to, then it's Greta Thunberg, uh, an amazing young person um, who um, is really really inspirational. Mm. And and I take my professional inspiration, if you like, from from people like yourself, uh, students that I meet, um, rather than people of my own generation, because I. Because I feel that, that, um, that, that you are the future and, and you inspire me uh, to do what I do, which is try and make, make connections, make things better, do, do that work in all, because you're, you're, you're there. If I, if, if I didn't, if you weren't there, it would be um, doing it in a void. And it's getting, um, it's getting that, that feedback. So when I meet the, the, the scholars, um, uh, when we when we have face to face and we have the workshop, I always find that really inspirational because that they they you are to a certain degree empty vessels waiting to be filled, uh, and I think it's really important that you're filled with the right right thing and given the right encouragement. Oh yeah. And then and then I take great pride in in seeing success of people and and how people develop. It is interesting. I um, a few weeks ago. Uh, I was on a call and uh, a former scholar who's now work he's been graduated three or four years. He, he was giving a talk and uh, I was so impressed. The change in him in that three or four years had been um, really memorable and noticeable. And, and I, I took a great deal of pride and inspiration uh, about that. Oh, well, yeah, I suppose it must be really rewarding to see the, the outcome of like all the work and all the support networks that previously weren't there when you'd been going to the system, the systems as, as you can call them. Yeah, no, I th absolutely. Yeah. I, I take my inspiration from, from people like yourself um, young people going through students um, who, who are uh, overcoming challenges are, and are, are pushing the boundaries and, and doing great stuff. So yeah, I find that inspirational. Maybe that wasn't the answer you were expecting. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just a new one, you know? Everyone has their own outlook on things. Mm. Um, and what's your favorite resistor value? Uh, 4K7. 4K7? Why 4K7? Oh, oh. <laughs> I've got you. <laughs> so, 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 you know, why, why is your favorite color red? I mean, the, 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 the um, trite answer is it just is. He, yeah. he asked me to pick a resistor value, and I just did. I think oh, I probably fair. use that more more, more than any. Um, yeah, or just in just uh, it's one that I come across most. Yeah, subconscious wiring. Probably, yeah. Something something back in back in the wiring. Yeah, <laughs> I can always remember three hundred and thirty ohms because that was the one I used to put in series with a resistor uh, resistor with a, an LED. In okay, school. yeah. Yeah, don't know why I remember that. I just do, you know. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, why do you remember things? Why, why can I remember the registration of my first ever car, which was uh, back in the early eighties? And I, I can't for the life of me think of my current registration. <laughs> yeah, and which is more important? <laughs> well, that's right. Memory. How does memory work? <laughs> so yeah, yeah uh, that's my favourite resistor value, four K seven. No, very good, very good. <laughs> well, 
this is reaching towards the end of the podcast then. So um, just a, a quick summary of everything that we've talked about here. Um, so I've been joined here with Stuart Edmondson, the CEO of um, the UK ESF. And he's talked us through um, his opinions on interview questions. Um, well, a bit about my back. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've, I've given you an insight into my my background, how I got to where where I got to, my my outlook on um, on education system. Um, yep. Talked about why electronics, why why we need to raise awareness of uh, of electronics and interest in electronics, uh, mm-hmm. the, um, the nature of uh, somewhat about the nature of the sector. Uh, but particularly about uh, students and, and recent graduates, I think. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything there. Too much information. <laughs> no, um, but yeah. And finally, just to finish everything off, is what's your biggest piece of advice that you can give? Because people are listening to young engineers. I think take advantage. You are doing something that's really important, that's really worthwhile. I, I was struck last week uh, by Prince Philip's uh, funeral. Uh, one of the things he said, because uh, he started the Royal Academy of Engineering, which I, uh, which I hadn't appreciated. And, and I think uh, I'll paraphrase his quote, you know, everything that wasn't created by God was created by an engineer. So ultimately, we're doing really, or you are doing really important work uh, for the future of humanity. Uh, to 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 solve problems to make people's lives better um, and and I think I think it's really just devote time and effort to your career it's really important keep the balance right um, and be kind to people yeah <laughs> <laughs> very bit of everything there base, you go yeah, I'm, uh, yeah I think I think it's really important to do that treat treat, treat people well um, and and work as a team and 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 celebrate other people's success and your own success and uh, and uh, yeah that's uh, that's really important to me. I agree. I agree with you. There you go. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, James. It's been a. I've really enjoyed um, really enjoyed doing this and and I was really keen to support you doing this podcast. I think it's a fabulous initiative and I hope more people um, you get more guests and uh, find out about their favourite phones and. Uh, <laughs> And favourite values of resistors, I would have uh, I would have perhaps um, uh, thought a bit more about those answers. If um, uh, yeah, but uh, that's great, uh, fantastic initiative, and I've really enjoyed um, uh, talking to you. And um, if people listening to this want to connect with me on LinkedIn, um, that would be that would be fabulous. Well, thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. Take care, James. Bye.